Welcome to the Arena Deckless Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson, joined as always by Brian Gottlieb. And unfortunately, uh, we also have a Cedric Phillips here so that he can blast us. Just to yell at us. What a what a generous podcast we are that we bring people on just to yell at us. I got beef. So Cedric, I'm I'm happy to have you here, but are you? Uh, I I don't <laughs> like the circumstances, my friend. Anyway, go ahead. Me? Yeah. You, I, that's that's the baton pass right there. All right. It's on um, you. Let's hear right. it. Well, gentlemen, first and foremost, so that there's not any um, aggregators or anything like other podcasts I listen to would say. I love you both very much. So. It's not personal, really. Well, that's a scary intro. Okay. Well, all, no, our, no. our thing wasn't personal either. <laughs> I guess we should lead with that. But So a thing that frustrates me is like when you have access to a person, um, like if you have like basically like if you, if you have direct access to someone like you guys do with me, I would prefer if you just got in touch with me as opposed to paraphrasing is the first thing, which maybe you didn't know that about me and you do now and that's fine. But as I have the tweets up, uh, that I sent in between you and I, Brian. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, my stance on the paraphrase, the paraphrasing, excuse me, and things last week was, um, and I'll read this verbatim. Neither of you fully know my thoughts, opinion on the matter. I have far more data and experience than both of you in the space, which I do. And instead of guessing what I'm saying, just have me on and press record, assuming that you would like to do that sort of thing, which is what we're doing now. Okay. So last week, Brian, you were mad. I was a little heated. You still yeah. mad? I don't. I don't know. It's like it's so weird. Anytime I get mad about this stuff, because I do care a lot, and like I think that's why we're having this conversation right now. Is you can relate to that. You care a lot too. Um, but at the same time, I also recognize the ridiculousness of all of it, and like how many more important things there are in the world. So I, I get hot in the moment, and then afterwards, I'm kind of like, eh, I didn't really need to go that hard. But I, I did feel it. I felt it in the moment. I was that angry. And uh, I, I don't know. I've cooled off a bunch, but all, most of the points are still there. Like, I don't think my position has changed all that much. I just feel a little less heated about it. Okay. I mean, the anger really came through. And I don't think of you as really an angry person, um, like, ever. Which mostly is not a true. bad thing. It's just, no, a, it's just an observation. Right. I think that's mostly true. And uh, I, give, I like to give people, brands, everything, a lot of chances. I believe in, like, growth. I believe in making mistakes and learning for them. So all those things tend to lend to me giving a lot more rope than some other people would. And uh, I was out of rope last week for sure. So the whole thing, this whole situation, right, with um, with the with the bait and switch of the world's thing and everything and like the basically errat- eradication of competitive play and all this other stuff, right? It's been very, very interesting to me um, for a myriad of reasons. Um, one thing that I don't think a lot of people realize kind of off the jump because obviously you were heated last week and Jerry, I'm sure you have your own reasons for being upset or disappointed or whatever. Like you had last week and you may still have now, um, whatever is like, don't, don't assume that, you know, my opinion, don't paraphrase me, Cedric. <laughs> well done. Very He's well right done. here. I mean, come Very on. Well done. You, you could just call me up, dude. <laughs> You're here. Talk you, about you it. could speak for yourself. Um, like the, errat- the eradication of a lot of stuff that has taken place over the past um, over the past like month or two, I guess I would say, when they made the announcement and basically said basically more or less said, "Yo, competitive play, thanks but no thanks." Right? This started roughly five, we're almost like the five year anniversary. This started like five years ago. You guys know that, right? Uh, in, in some forms, I might agree with that. In other forms, I think that they, for for a moment they focused on this 
more than any anything. Like they made esports their front and center presence, and they spent a bunch of money on it. And a lot of that was like arena advertising, but it was masked as competitive play. And there was a lot of things that were different about it, but I don't think it was completely eradicated at that moment. So, so the, the the pay the pro stuff happened like twice, basically, if I remember correctly. And that always struck me as like, yeah, they're going to try and do this like every chance that they get. Yes. And yeah, that was about five years ago. Yeah. So this was this happened back in 2016. I actually remember where I was in Roanoke. And I was actually with you, Jerry, um, at whatever bar we used to go to that was near Alejandro's. Uh, is, is this the actual pay the pros thing? Yeah. Well, when, when this announcement happened, I was I was like with majors. So like I remember talking, I remember talking to you about it at a bar in Roanoke outside of Alejandro's. Yeah, that might have been like the Monday after. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and I remember chatting with you about it, and like you know, obviously you were frustrated, I was frustrated, whatever. And at that moment in time, I was like, look, this is their attempt to pull the plug on the whole thing. Yeah, because if you really dive deep into it, like I have been for the past like forty days, having competitive play in the fashion that they've had it during that time with bronze and silver and gold and all the other stuff makes little to no sense as far as the levels, the appearance fees, all that other stuff. Um, last week, you guys got into the importance of competitive play and what it did for the game over the course of the game's history and all that stuff. And none of that I actually disagree with. Um, the areas in which I disagree is one, I think that stuff was very important for a time. And I think it is less important to do so now. Um, and there's a lot of research kind of backing that up and the way they've kind of transitioned the game away from competitive play and seeing a lot of success. Naturally, you can just you can point to last year and the quarterlies and the annual and this most successful year with basically no competitive play. If you want to go through the numbers as far as eyeballs on the competitive product, be it the SED Tour side, be it the Wizards of the Coast, Pro Tours, Grand Prix side, whatever and all of the misgivings and mishandlings in those spaces, mythic championships, all this other stuff, right? What you're going to find, if, you don't, if, if you're not even looking at it contextually and diving deep in each one, what you're going to find is just a, a, a decline through like SCG tour numbers, which is disappointing, but it's, but it's factual. You're going to find a decline in like GP viewership. You're going to find a decline in PT viewership, all that stuff. You're just going to see it continuously trending down. Um, and again, there's a lot of reasons for that being the case, but the overarching thing is that for a myriad of reasons, competitive play as far as eyeballs generated and revenue generation is not, I don't want to say the juice isn't worth the squeeze, but the juice really isn't worth the squeeze compared to what it did for the game in the 2000s and the early parts of the last decade. Is that a bummer? Yes. But do I believe that to be factual? Absolutely. Now, Brian, I believe your stance on things is that there's still a place for it to exist, but I will let you speak to that. So my stance is that I agree with you. That's that's the frustrating thing about all of this is that I think we're basically on the same page. And where our disconnect is coming from is that we're presenting different parts of it at different points in time. So I can sign up for your stance. It makes perfect sense to me. I have I have no objection to what you're saying. And I can still believe that if I am looking at Magic as a brand that I want to be around for 50 years, 
you know, a hundred years, whatever time frame you want to talk about, just longevity, uh, a focal point of gaming for its existence. I can still believe that competitive play is essential. All this stuff that's going on right now is a moment. It's a cultural zeitgeist. It's a focus on gaming, what was previously identified as like nerd culture. And what I think is really having a huge impact on magic in this moment, especially as it comes to the bottom line, is a focus on collecting. Collecting matters a lot right now. And we see that across many things. There's multiple card games, which I haven't really spoken to anyone uh, who enjoys them, but they're generating a lot of money right now. And they're creating a collector's fervor. And uh, I don't think the bottom line of magic was immune to that. And I think you can even make an argument that magic didn't capitalize to the extent it could have on this moment of the cultural zeitgeist. They could have done more with it, despite having the biggest year ever. Because if you produce $30 booster packs, if you burn through reprint equity, if you have collector variants all over the place, and you're able to create this agenda where these are all collector's items, you have to buy them all, you can't miss it. And people buy that for a while. There's a lot of money to be farmed there. But it's temporary. It doesn't last forever. And the things that last forever about magic are community, uh, this shared experience, this just larger than lifeness of the game that it's had for 25 years. And I think competitive play is an indispensable part of all of that. Okay. And I still concede everything you're saying about this second right now. I agree. The dollars are not there. The interest is not there. That is this moment in time, though, and things can change very quickly. And if you want something that can carry you through that moment, you need this. Now, if you want to say, OK, back off it now, come back later. Sure, I'm OK with that. But I think there is a baseline you need to maintain. And the problem I have with this decision making, it's not just about... <laughs> cutting the legs out from under the program, it's cutting the trust out from the program as well. Because if you cut the legs out in a way that maintains trust, you can build it back. You can turn back to that mode you were doing before and tap back into this thing that has existed for so long. If you just scorched earth, don't give a shit about this community at all, and we're taking this money back, people will start to turn on you. And that's the thing that really concerned me about this decision. So... Uh, first note, for pure clarity, in case someone you know would misunderstand what I'm saying, um, the the yanking of the world stuff, total shit, hate it. Yeah, I don't think anyone can defend that in good faith. Yeah, like it's, it's just it's not realistic. It's awful. It, it sucks. I would never argue for it. Um, but here's what I also say, um, and I'm just going to play like devil's advocate, so on and so forth. In, in a couple of these, in a couple of these instances, stating in this instance that I I know nothing um, concrete in this realm. But this is a way that I believe that one could think about things, especially when it comes to magic and competitive play. So, you know, I, I see that you're like you're taking a long view and one could argue that they're taking a short view with this. We're really going to pump it up with collector stuff and these collector boosters and all this other stuff. And we're just going to farm, 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 farm. And the money is going to be infinite. Um, and we can just do this for as long as we need to. And, and then we can change back to, and pivot to something else. Maybe maybe true, maybe false. Hard to say. Um, so one thing that's unique to Magic that is not unique to a lot of other games is that the um, it's the loyalty to the brand. Yep. And it's very strange. And it's something I've never quite understood uh, in a lot of areas. You know, we, we could talk about that with preview cards. 
where people are desperate to get preview cards even though they get nothing for doing them. Um, and, and I know people have made the argument like we should be getting paid to market your cards for you. Never happens. People are craving preview cards all the time. Um, and it's like this weird thing where it's just kind of like, I got a Wizards preview card. It's like, I mean, that's cool, but like you're basically marketing for them and not getting paid, right? And so then there's also the, okay, pay the pros happens. We're going to pull competitive play. We're yanking it. Benefits gone. Screw you. People go nuts. They make a lot of sense for people to go, you know what? Fuck you guys. I'm not going to play. Didn't happen. It's weird. It's very difficult to explain. You see the world's thing being taken away right now, right? Where it's like, okay, we're going to pull all this money. And you've made the argument, uh, I think on Twitter or something, where it's just like players should stand together and do all this other stuff. And they have the reason. And you talked about it last week too, right? They have the reasons for doing it. They have the reasons for not doing it. Um, you know, I need the money. Sympathetic to that. You know, stand together. Definitely not going to happen. You know, even though you Agreed. could argue that it should happen. It's, it's 100% not going to happen. Yeah. Um, and so this weird, so with, with these couple of thoughts in mind, I can provide more examples, but I'm not going to. With these thoughts in mind, it is easy, I believe, for the powers that be at Wizards of the Coast to go, you know what, we can just pull this and people are just going to keep playing. And when we decide, when we decide to turn back on the competitive faucet, if we want to do that, they'll come back. Everybody comes back. No one actually leaves. They'll come back. What are they going to do? They're going to play a game that's inferior to ours because it's more available? No, they're not going to. Like, sure, maybe they'll play Hearthstone in the short term. Maybe they'll play whatever ever card game, Eternal, whatever the fuck in the short term. Hope I can swear. Um, we've been we've been kind of non-committal about that as of late. There's there's been way more swearing over the past few weeks than there has been in the past. It is just so who I am. It's really it's, hard not. It's to. usually the guests too. Okay, like the. Out of like 200 episodes, the most F-bombs we had by far was when Majors came back. Love it. Because it was just, it was very casual. Love it. Uh, <laughs> and then, yeah, over the last few weeks, you know, some stuff has gone down. We've set our fair share of F-bombs. Like, eh, do whatever you want at this point. Okay. You want to bleep it, feel free to bleep it. No no offense taken. Uh, we definitely don't bleep anything. Okay, great. Um, but, and, and like, so I'm not even saying, like my hypothetical here, I'm not even saying it's true. I am saying that one can think this way. And I believe that one can think this way with some amount of confidence, which is, yeah, we in competitive play, but these people are still going to keep playing. And I don't like, I don't even think that that is a good way to think. And I don't think that is a good outcome to have because it basically means that any decision we make, we're infallible. It's irrelevant. They're going to keep playing, you know, and, and, but you can also believe that this is true because, you know, this game is nicknamed Cardboard Crack. You see people leave and they come back. And, you know, we all have this feeling, the three of us, of going to a tournament and going like, I haven't seen you for a while. It's like, yeah, I decided to start playing again. You know, Seth Manfield goes to college, does his thing for a couple of years, gets his degree, all this other stuff, decides to come back, flying solo at events. I remember him just sitting at the corner, didn't know anybody for a while. And then he's like, yeah, you know, I just felt like I started gaming again. You know, people, people come back all the time. This is, and, like this just doesn't change because the game is so good and that is a positive and it can also be seen as a negative. But with that in mind, it is believable for them to go, you know what? We're going to cut competitive play for a myriad of reasons. And if we decide we want to do it again, we'll get them back or we can create new customers. They can be fine. Again, I'm not, I'm not saying I agree with the thought process. I'm saying it as a thought process that I could understand the powers that be make sense and they could have. I agree with all that. One thing that I will note, like in in Seth's case or cases I've heard from a lot of folks where 
you know, they'll play magic before college and then either like during college, they'll be bored or they, they graduate from college and now have a bunch of like spare time on their hands or whatever. They always know that magic is a thing that they can go back to because there are things like PTQs and FNM and like those systems exist. But once you gut all that, then it's just like, oh, well, do I want to, you know, do the research for building a commander deck and like finding a play group and all of that stuff. It's so much easier to just go to a store, go to a tournament and know that that will always be there. But that is definitely a downside when you start cutting things out is that people down the road are not going to have that thought of like, oh, yeah, I could go and do this. They'll just be like, oh, does that even exist anymore? Yeah, a lot of it of being like a constant in our lives is that there has been this framework to engage with. And I think about like moving around the country a bunch of times and meeting people through the competitive magic scene many times. And like if, if that's gone, a lot of my incentive is gone. And th the stance that we can get away with anything and they'll keep coming back is correct right up until the moment it's not that's the problem with it is like and it's like you said last week i was angry generally don't get angry well you push people far enough at some point there's a breaking point and with magic it, it's real far down the road you can do a lot of pushing and you know like you mentioned with world competitors there's people who are still happy to play for the prestige involved and I, that blows my mind but they're there and they they truly feel that way so there's a lot of rope to work with but at some point I think you run out and that's kind of where they're they're towing that line right now. The other thing I bring up all the time, too, is like uh, the comics boom. I've talked about this with so many people now. I know Jerry and I have talked about it and I, I just see so many parallels between what magic is doing in this moment because like when they were selling a billion copies of x-men one they they didn't think like, oh, our industry is on the verge of collapse. It's this is unstoppable we can just make these variant issues these number one issues over and over and over and people will keep buying them and they're not going anywhere and it was 100 percent true until it wasn't and the comics market dried up it almost bankrupted the entire industry and nothing is too big to fail except banks unfortunately because <laughs> that's the entire basis of our economy and they're scumbags but no form of entertainment is too big to fail. You can always have those kind of bust situations. And I'm I'm not trying to say like magic is on the cusp of that. I just see a lot of similarities over and over. Sure. <clears throat> I, I can understand where you're coming from. Um, my dad's a comic books guy, so I understand the uh, I understand the anecdote that you are and the parallel that you're making there uh, in a very meaningful way. Um, there's always this game of cat and mouse too, or just like how hard are you supposed to push? Mm -hmm. Right? With For sure. And, and Again, don't know the goals, don't work there, so on and so forth, whatever. Um, but, you know, how hard are you supposed to push this stuff? How, how many times, what's, what's the set, <coughs> excuse me, what's the set where, you know, they have normal printings, sketch printings, another printing, and people just go, boo, I don't care about this anymore. You know, like, we've overdone close. this. I, see, I don't. I don't. I don't know, man. I, I, I read a... Uh... A statement today from one of uh, our competitors. I, I guess I'll reference Star City as ours since we're all employees there. Uh, one of our competitors just said they're they're not differentiating between regular foiling and etch foiling, Modern Horizons two, because they literally cannot tell the difference. They can't figure it out with any kind of consistency, and they're just going to listen together and say, "You get what you get," because we can't tell you what it is. You're telling me that's not having gone too far at this point? Like, that's really I don't know, bad. man. Yeah, that, that's real bad. 
the the edge stuff that I've seen is like very blatant, but I would imagine that they've looked at more things than I have. Yep, they said they looked at hundreds of thousands of cards, and there's there's variants based on which printing house the cards are made in, and just you you can't nice. tell. They say you can't tell. Okay, so so this kind of gets into the fun space, right? Where you can't tell, but then like if you can tell, it's like, hey, I have this really rare printing of this card that's really expensive now. Right? Maybe. Don't we don't we go down that avenue? So this is the thing. This is this is like this weird thing that's been happening with like these various different types. So what I thought was going to happen with these various different types of cards, I know we're tangenting uh, a little bit, but like I figured, like once we have like all these different types and printings, that like the value of the cards would just ultimately go down because there's so many different versions. You just kind of pick the one that you want, but like there isn't a shortage of the actual card. There's just a lot of different versions of the card. No, that just like hasn't happened at all. It's like, a, I don't I don't think that's true. Like just baseline rares feel very cheap to me right now. They feel like in my experience, and this is just the experience that I'm having. Um, I can't say this with absolute certainty, but it just feels like I I, I thought that like we were just going to see like a lowering, uh, like a lowering of the ceiling of, of the price of cards. And I just don't feel like that's happening. I just feel like oh man, like there's there's this cool version and there's this cool version. And there's this cool version, and then over time, like you have all these cool versions that are like not in print anymore, and so it's just like. Oh yeah, well the regular version of Noble Hierarch is expensive, and then like this newer version is expensive because this is rare, and like they don't print this one anymore, so this one's rare. It's like yeah, but there's six types of the card. Yeah, but they're all different now. It's all just kind of rare. Yeah, and but like uh, this is the comic book thing again too, right? They're all rare theoretically, but there's enough for everyone who wants them, except the people who are collecting them, and there's got to be something driving the collecting. And I, it all, uh, I, I've had this feeling a lot since like the pandemic started. Uh, about everything. So maybe this is much a reflection of like my mental state as the state of anything related to magic or anything broader than that. But everything just feels like a house of cards to me. Like it, it all feels so fragile and so uncertain. And like part of that is having the normalcy of our lives ripped out from under us. You know, all of our jobs are very affected. All of our relationships are very affected by what we went through in the last year and a half. And I just see that in everything now where these things are so precariously balanced and we are kind of driving them with our own belief like we know this to be true we know these things have value thus they have value that's not an outstanding thing to say because there's literally entire currencies based on that idea um all currencies to some extent are based on that idea but specifically things like cryptocurrency are just based on the idea that this has value because we say it does and it just seems like so much of our world is wrapped up in exactly that well we have taken this weird turn in the world especially and and it I don't know if it coincides with the pandemic or it was going to happen anyway, but you know, you can mention with cryptocurrencies, NFTs, you know, uh, NBA top shot, like mm -hmm. just all this stuff where it's just like, yeah, all these things are valuable. It's like, but why? Why? Cause they are. And it's yeah. like, but that's, that's not a reason, you know, <laughs> like it just doesn't make any sense. Like it, I definitely, it is, I, still isn't same yeah. thing. Like you believe it and then you, then you don't one day and then it just is completely gone. Yeah. Sports cards. You know, that's that, that's a that's a whole thing and has been over the past couple of years. It's like, yeah, this is just a big thing now. It's like you, you got to get on it before it's too late. But like, what's too late? I don't know. Like, it's, it's this whole really strange thing. Um, but to bring it back to competitive play and the conversation that you guys had last week uh, and why I'm here in the first place. <clears throat> what I foresee happening is like so a couple of things. One, I feel like I understand why Watsi is making the decision that they're making in, in so far as. I don't feel as though they're getting themselves away entirely from competitive play. Are we going to see, you know, like, are we going to see like Grand Prix and PTs and like the normal setup that we've seen over the past 
you know, decade or two decades, whatever? No, we're not. Do I think that Watsi is probably going to shift to a, hey, we're going to do festivals and we're going to do, um, we're going to do like our own version of PAX or something, right? We saw that with Hascon a couple of years mm. ago. Um, did not do well. Swing and a miss there. Um, maybe they find a better way to do it in the future. But do I foresee them to do something like that? Is like the, hey, this is the competitive, this is like the type of tournament style structure festival PAX S thing that we do? Yeah, I do. I foresee that to be a thing that they do do uh, in the future. Um, but do I see them running GPs and uh, like Grand Prix trials and all this other stuff? No, like I, I foresee them to have a very, very big focus on local organized play. There's 6,000 stores in the WPN network. Let's do FNMs. Let's do other local things to use our WPN network. And let's focus on getting people into local stores and their LGS to play that way. That's going to be the focus. And if there's a way to make an F, like if there's a way to bring back FNM in the same way that it was and popular, like, like it's been over, you know, the, the amount of time we've been playing magic, whatever, if there's a commander version that they can create for that. They're probably going to do something like that. Um, but like the whole PTQ to PT to worlds type structure, I've felt personally for a long time, like, I don't even feel like they should really be doing that anyway. I think somebody else should be taking care of that for them. And that is, that is me stepping aside and being like, hey, I wish SCG was doing that so I could be in charge of it. It's just like, why are you doing it? It's like, because you created the game, you were like the first people around to do it. But now, when you take a look at like, hey, how much money, how much money is this making us? Why, is it, why are we doing things this way now? Um, and the rationale is basically like, because we've been doing it for 25 years, so we should just keep doing it. And someone, in my opinion, has finally stepped in and said like, no, we're not going to do this anymore. Let's make it someone else's responsibility. Maybe we subsidize it. But like, maybe it's Star City Games' responsibility. Maybe it's Channel Fireball's responsibility. Maybe it's Nerd Rage Games' responsibility. Or some, you know, store in Europe that I'm not thinking of. Apologies. Face-to-face -face games. Whatever. They just go, you know what? We've been doing this for a really long time. We've obviously, they've obviously shown signs that they don't want to do it anymore. Pay the pros. Try to rip the benefits. Everyone goes nuts. Okay, we have to keep doing this. Fine. Um, let's change. Let's try an esports movement. How do you qualify? Literally impossible. Fine. You know what? Fine. Band-Aid gone. We're ripping it off. We'll take as much flack as we need to about the decision that we've made, but this is the decision that we're making. Fine. Do I love it? No. Do I understand it? Yes. I do. And I think that they are going to focus on local play, FNMs, commander versions of this. And also you got to remember too, last thing I'll say, and then one of you guys can hop in. They've also demonstrated, and this was like an experiment that went extremely well with their command fest. They're like, you had to pay to be there. Now, if you think about a GP and all that other stuff, you know, we walk in, we want to play in tournaments, maybe yes, maybe no, blah, 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 hang out with our friends, stuff like that. And those command fests, you had to pay like 75 bucks to be in the door. So now they have proof that that model works. So I imagine like if we're talking about <clears throat> what kind of, <clears throat> excuse me, GP-esque type thing they're going to do, it's going to be that. I'd be fine with that. And I'd be fine, like, I think it makes sense for them to do that. Now, do I think that they're willing to do that on the, like, for the competitive players like you, me, Brian, people listening to this podcast? Maybe yes, maybe no. But, like, they also, they know now that, like, hey, we can just charge people to come in the door 75 bucks. And, yeah, we'll give them some bells and whistles, play mat, cards, whatever the hell. Um, but they'll come in the door and do that. And I was actually, I was a little gun shy on, like, that being a positive. Like, I was like, I don't know if that's going to work. Uh, so I went to the one in Seattle. And I just talked to people, you know, because Sheldon Mennery was there and a bunch of people were there that, you know, some people got flown in. Um, I can't remember if Nadine was there, Jeremy, uh, Jerry, I think she was. Yeah, I was there. Yeah. And I was just talking to people and I was just like, how is it? And people were like, it's awesome. 
you know, I paid, got some cool stuff, and just got to hang out and play Commander all weekend. It's like, okay, go that way. That's more of a festival approach, stuff like that. But at the end of the day, I personally think that the decision that they're making, while extremely frustrating, while it's something that you, the three of us are used to, people who listen to this podcast are used to, I understand why the change is taking place. I think that personally, it's probably the right decision to make, assuming they have a plan to say, you know what, other people can run tournaments for us, create systems, things like that, which is the direction I think they're most likely going to go. But I understand the frustration from people like us who've been doing this whole GP, PTQ, blah, blah, blah for 20 plus years. Yeah, I, I think the the final takeaway is kind of like, it's really hard to analyze the first step without knowing what comes next, right? Because if there is a world where they get people back in LGSs and, you know, they are subsidizing the highest levels of competitive play by partnering with the SCG Tour, like, that's that's great. That sounds legitimately great to me. I have no complaints about that. It's just there's a lot of uh, pull the rug out from under you and, and not have the next thing in place uh, while you're kind of tearing it all down. And then, like I said, just the general... Uh, distrust that they're fostering of like, do they care about us at all? Why should we support their product? The, the more of that you do, I think you have a big hole to dig out of. But you, you, your your approach is fine. I think the decision between continuing to do things and not continuing to do things the way they had done it in the past, uh, I, I think there's like enough goodwill where even if it was a dollar loss, I, if I was in charge of the company, I would have kept it rolling because as far as what it actually costs, it's kind of a drop in the bucket comparatively. Um, and especially in a moment where they're making more money than ever. But I respect the decision not to do it. I respect your stance on it. And I am I am glad you came on and clarified a bit. And I, I, like I said, I think we found more commonality than disagreement, honestly. Yeah, I mean, the, the biggest the biggest frustration, like I said, on, on Twitter was more of just like, a, I'm looking at it from narrow view. I just have like 50 pages of notes right? of just like, uh, they did this, then they did this. Like, these systems work, these systems didn't work. They keep changing things. Like, do you know the number of rebrands they've gone through for their tournaments in the past four years? Yeah. It's we like... It's like insane. We, we can't even remember the names of the tournaments on it's the podcast. It's insane. Like, I don't know. I, I don't know. Like, like I remember, like, you guys, you guys were the the GAM, the game, and then you were the Arena Decklist podcast, right? And you guys thought about probably that for a really long time. Agonized over it. Right? Agonized over it. Agonized over it. I still don't it. know if we did the right thing. Well, I think rebranding was good. I think where we settled was bad, but we had to change it last minute because, like, something came up and the name that I thought of, I finally figured out someone who also had it. Sure. So then we had to, we had to like change again late. So like, I don't like where we ended up, but uh, you know, it is what it is. And you just kind of, you stick with it. If we needed to, or cared to rebrand again, like say magic arena dies or whatever, then I would probably want to rebrand again, you know, but until that happens, I think I'm fine with where we are. Yeah. Yeah. I, and the point I'm trying to make is like, you guys are like, you guys are, Podcasts were competitive magic, got a good audience. People are probably going to, you know, just take the rebrand in stride. You know, you rebrand because of SEO reasons, a bunch of other reasons I'm probably not privy to, whatever. But like, it's an agonizing decision, right? And there's some positives and negatives that come along with it. You might get lost by some people. Some people, where'd your podcast go? Whatever. Yeah, it's, right? it's hell. And we just, we, they, over the course of like three and a half years, were just like, yo, the pro tours, yo, the players tours, yo, the Mythic Championships, yo, the set championships. And it's like, what the fuck's going on? 
Yeah. Slow down. I don't even know how to qualify for these things. Let alone I don't know the names of them. Yeah. So yeah, the, the inherent risk of rebranding is to some extent that people get lost. Correct. And we knew that with just doing it once and pulling the trigger again in such a short amount of time, you, you would need to give me like an absurdly substantial reason to convince me that that is correct. So yeah, every time they rebrand, it's like, you know, we needle them a little bit. And now it just gets to the point where it's like, what, what are these terms called anymore? I don't even remember. And I'm serious. I we don't, don't even know. We don't even know what the tournaments are called. We don't know their importance level. We know none of these things. And, and, and here's maybe the final point I'll make as well. Now, this is maybe, maybe a little risky, even though I do coverage for the fine folks there. But they also said they take criticism in stride. So here I am criticizing. I feel like everything we do these days is risky. Like someone's just going to come down on us at some point. So I understand. Yeah, I mean, you know, like I just, I don't know. I got a job. I'm okay. So, yeah, risky, but what's the worst that could happen? I got a job. You know? I'm all right. But, you know, with, with all of this in mind, I, I will say this for the past handful of years, and I, I'm undecided on what X is, but for the past handful of years, people who have participated in the organized play system that Wizards of the Coast has generated with set championships, with players' tours, uh, with Mythic Championships, with all of it. I would say the majority of people who have participated in those style of events, for the most part, have been dissatisfied but have kept playing. So, with that, I say, in some respects, I think that some people should be happy, in some respects, that it's like, hey, they're not doing this, more, they're not doing this anymore because they clearly have shown that this is not the thing that they're very good at, and I'm hoping that someone or someones will pick up the ball and maybe Watsy subsidizes it and just says, you know what? And there's no shame in this for what it's worth. There's no shame in just going, you know what? We're just not that good at this as a company. We never really have been. And we don't really care to put the resources into it to be good at that. We want to put our resources into making sets, creating great experiences, making cool cards, blah, blah, blah. You know, we've got this, we've got this wing of the company that's been doing op stuff for a really long time and by and large our competitive audience whatever segment of, of our business that is isn't particularly happy and we don't really know what to do to make them happy so you know what we're we're done trying to figure that out now is that right is that wrong discussion for another time but i do think that there is some level of positiveness that i think of where it's just kind of like you know what we suck at this and we've sucked at it for a while which I believe is unequivocally true, and I do coverage for them and participate in the systems. It's like this is hard to grok. I do, I, I do, I do tournaments. I'm doing the coverage of the uh, the Strixhaven. Uh, is that the new set? So you the, have the, no idea what you're doing coverage of. You have no idea the name of it. There's not, no way you know without looking at it. Quote until, unquote until, new set. Yes. Not until tomorrow. That's when the research right. begins. It is, the, it is the uh, it is the July Strixhaven League weekend, by the way, Brian. Come on, give me a Thanks. little, give me a little sure. credit here. Um, and this is the last one that qualifies people for stuff. Now, don't ask me what the stuff is, okay? Some, some stuff. But some stuff. Um, I take away some positivity with that, and so far it's just kind of like, hey, let somebody else do it. Just let somebody else, because there are people who are better at, better, better served to do it, probably than you guys are. This isn't like, I mean, I was going to say it's not a knock, but it is kind of a knock because I participated in the programs for a long time. Some stuff just doesn't make sense. It's hard to find the information. You know, who's the person on Twitter who keeps track of all the damn pro points? 
There's a few. There's like a couple, and it's like there's yeah. nowhere on Watsi's site to see this in a clear and concise manner. I always have to. I always have to Kibler Google how many buys do I have in a Grand Prix, all this other stuff. Let's just wash your hands of it. You're not even sure how much money it's generating or or revenue is generating for you in the first place. I can imagine the meeting that they have is just like, why are we still doing this? You know, with the powers that be and yada yada yada. Why are we still doing this? Well, because we've done it for 25 years, and you know, like we have a competitive audience that we need to foster. And someone just goes, maybe somebody else do it. Just have somebody else do it. And let's rip the bandaid off. It's like, well, it looks bad if we rip the bandaid off. And I don't care. Just do it. You can make all the excuses in the world to not do it. And it's just like, just fuck it. Just do it. Let's just get it over with. We suck at it. Here's the thing. Here's the thing we know we're good at. Making cards. We know we're good at that. And that's a great segue for you guys to have to talk about these Dungeons & Dragons cards. Well. GLHF. GLHF. <laughs> but hey, guess what? We know we're good at that. The numbers tell us that we're good at that. And we sell a shit ton of these. So let's just focus on that. Okay, and let's not focus on, all right, I got to figure out how I'm going to make, you know, former gold level pro happy and all this other stuff. They're going to come at us on Twitter and make good tournaments and point systems that make sense and got to do a global organized play system and you make, make sure all these tournaments make sense with all these resources and all this other shit. It's, it might just be the thing that they're not good at. It doesn't make financial sense for them to do it, and that's okay if they're going to have somebody else do it. Yeah. Uh... There, there being something in the wake is the important part of that. Right. Yep. It, it could all come out good. Subsidization, great idea. Um, but like you said, I think it's time for us to change gears and make Cedric talk about these cards for a while. Little adventures in the Forgotten Realms. I believe Cedric, you sticking around for that. I believe my internet is cutting out. Oh, right now. Oh, it's like that. It's like that. Um, Likely story. I How will. Convenient. I will say. As a little snippet to you guys, and for a lot of people who may not realize this, um, Wizards did just put up a position today on their website. So this is public information. Senior product designer competitive play at Wizards of the Coast. Sounds like what we're looking for. I applied. Okay. Already rejected, I'm assuming. They heard this podcast (laughs) from the future. Well, you know, I can't, I can't, I can't like make that tweet I made like a month ago. Right. And then not apply for this. Right. You know, I'm for a big, sure. I'm a big put your money where your mouth is. If you if if you think you got it, then you got to do it type of person. But maybe that is a sign for you fine listeners out there, and for the both of you and everybody else that hey, Wizards of the Coast is seeking a senior product design competitive play to help design Magic the Gathering play experiences and programs for competitive play. Play programs focus on standard, modern, pioneer, and draft, and other potential constructed in limited formats. Yada yada yada. You can go to the Wizards of the Coast. Uh, careers page and find that and or apply and try to beat me for it i guess so I, maybe, I am glad i am glad they're making that hiring decision i mean that's that's something so maybe 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 they care about this more than we think and they just decided you know what rip the band-aid off fix the problem later which is something a lot of corporations do for better or it worse. is it is so let's, just, let's burn it all down and then figure something out yeah, I mean, Brian, you're a wrestling fan. It's like the WWE model 101. <laughs> yeah, they, they don't really figure anything out anymore, though. They just kind of burn it down all the time. So <laughs> they, just, they just repeatedly just burn it down. And, I don't know. Yeah. People, people still watch. They're still here. I don't know yeah. what they're doing here. We have more right. money than ever. So just keep it rolling. Um, I love you both. Love you too, brother. We're all good. Love um, you too, Cedric. I hope the move was good, Brian. It was. It was. Uh, we'll we'll touch base soon and hopefully uh, gather in some terrible convention center and we'll we'll talk all about it. And Brian, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna let everybody a little peek behind the peek behind the window here. 
I'm gonna need an article from you next week, buddy. Nah, let's see. <laughs> let's see, because as we're about to get into, not quite inspired yet. I mean, trust me, my financial situation needs an article from me too. I can't just sit here and never work again. But uh, gonna need to see something from the Steam D set first. You can't dodge me forever, man. I want that on my desk next Monday. <laughs> uh, we'll see. We'll see what we can do. Brian, I, I'm writing about modern again this week. Yes. I didn't even know that was an option. Well. I've, I've I, written about modern for the last month, so I was just like, come on, dude. There's, you know, there's nothing here. You know the rules, man. I don't want you to write shit you don't actually care about. It's- no, and I look, I appreciate that. I mean, I think some places would just have me mail in an article because it's my job to write articles every week. And when I come to you and I'm like, none of this is interesting. I'm not going to give you garbage. You're always on board with that. You're you're willing to let me find the thing I actually want to write about. And I, I think that's what makes uh, our relationship work. I think so. that's what makes SCG legitimately the best content site, not just saying that. So I appreciate that. Well, I hope you're able to find some nice cards to cover for the rest of this podcast. Uh, I'm going to get out of here. And uh, I don't know. I'm just going back to living my life in Seattle, just never leaving my apartment. So um, to all the listeners, enjoy the rest of the show. Jerry, Brian, you guys are great. Have a good one. You too, Later, man. Fans. Thanks for coming on. Well, I, I guess it's time for the fun stuff. Now we venture into uh, the adventures in the Forgotten Realms. And dude, as we were kind of talking about before it's we're super deep into preview season 220 cards previewed Cedric's like what are you writing about this week and I'm just like modern (laughs) because none of this speaks to me I feel the exact same way and that's not to say none of this is like fun or neat or like doesn't bring a smile to my face because some of it does uh but does any of it like matter for the present constructed environment only in the most obvious ways is what I would say thus far. Like there's certainly cards that we'll see play here, but nothing that changes anything thus far. And granted, I think we had the same experience the last two sets where these previews started really slow. I don't think there's that level of intentionality about the rollout where they like try and start slow and build up to it, but it has worked out that way the last couple of times. So maybe it'll do that again. I'm open to the possibility that this set like wows us in the back end, but we got a lot of mythic rares so far, a lot of rares, and these are just not constructed level cards, especially in the context of like Throne of Eldraine is still here. Now, maybe when that changes, we can, we can start to consider some of these options, but I can only consider the format as it's presented to me at this moment. And at this moment, most of this stuff does not matter. Yeah, and some of the stuff where it, like, you know, the dungeon stuff, for example, I'm looking for constructed level things that allow me to do that and do that consistently. And so far, I haven't seen a whole lot of that. So there's there's even things like that where it's like, okay, I, I see a piece here that is maybe interesting. I'll keep a lookout for future previews that also go along with this thing, and they have yet to present themselves. Mm-hmm. So nothing is really paying off for me at this point at least in the context of like standard right right there with you how do you feel about the i guess it's not quite mechanics but it's the shape of the set like for instance there's these keywords that are all over the place that they're they're meant to be call outs to dungeons and dragons lore essentially it's italicized text that are just giving things that would normally just appear on cards 
some context. They're flavor keywords. Flavor keywords. Yes. Very well described. Is that the official name for them or Um, is is that your own making? I I don't know if that's official, but like Kaijudo and I think Dual Masters too, seeing as how Kaijudo is basically Dual Masters, had the same sort of thing. And even, even Pokemon to some extent kind of does it that way, right? Yeah, true. So it's it's weird to me because in the context of like Kaijudo and you know playing in tournaments and watching how people interact with the game, no one used that the, those words. They they were just nonsense, right? Mm-hmm. You, if someone's like, "What's that do?" They would tell you the text of the card, especially because it wasn't like there were two different creatures that cast the same spell yes. or whatever, right? Yes. Uh, so in in that context, it, it was just like, I, I could tell you the name of the thing, but it doesn't tell you anything about what it actually does. So I already am like kind of soured on it. And then to see them here where it's like, okay, well, if Stunning Strike, for example, is like an actual D&D spell or yeah, something out of lore or whatever, I get it. I get what you're going for, but I'm never going to be like, oh, you know, all Stunning stunning Strike your creature or whatever. I'm never going to say that. I'll just say tap your creature. So. Right. It it also just kind of like misses for me unless you're looking at it from like top down flavor perspective. Yeah, I don't. I think it can only matter to you as a Dungeons and Dragons fan. Uh, there is a level of fan service that you should certainly seek to achieve in this set. Uh, I think the wordiness of it sucks. I think it's it's more words on uh, what's supposed to be basically a core set. And I think you're trying to minimize that whenever you can. And I also don't like the idea of magic expressly telling you that this is the thing. I like the I like it way better when magic expresses these things and it's a little bit more uh, impressionistic. Now, I get that that's mostly not going to work if you just make this half elf monk and give it the ability uh, one colorless, one white tap to tap target creature. Nobody's going to be, oh, that's a call out to stunning strike. But maybe that's part of the problem. Like maybe it just doesn't matter then. And right. when you do call out to it, that's when it'll be exciting. Because in this instance, like, does this really matter to anyone? Even the most devout D and D fan, are they over the moon? Because half elf monk has this stunning strike text. No. At the same time, like, does it hurt anyone all that much? No. It's also like pretty benign. I just don't like it. I don't care if you like it. Like, go for it. That's fine. I'm not trying to convince you otherwise. It's it's just didn't hit for me. Yeah. So magic to me. I've enjoyed it when things get distilled to the point where you don't have to like explicitly spell out every single thing. So, you know, like keywording vigilance or whatever. It's like, yeah, that's clearly evergreen. You're going to use that a lot. And, you know, that word makes sense. It does kind of convey what the ability does. And, And it just makes the cards as a whole a lot more simplistic, especially once you identify things that are evergreen keywords and thing like that you intend to use a lot. Right. Mm -hmm. And this is the opposite of that. It's just like unnecessarily complicated. The fact that you could just remove the text from the card and the card does the same thing. I'm just like, well, that, that seems like a bad thing to me unless you're like a D and D nerd and they needed you to sell. So they need to sell you on the set, which if you're a D and D nerd, that's, you know, they're probably doing that already with everything else going on. Right. It feels like you do that with like, making a card for iconic things not for referencing random things and then it's like there's also an argument as a D fan like is this a little bit pandering like you have cards that there's a set of blue commons for instance you come to a river you find the villain's lair you see a guard approach and then it's basically a modal spell and you choose two options 
that's not how D&D works. Like, it, it's not a modal game. It's a creative game. And in some ways, I think it's more true to the spirit of D&D for it to be more abstract, more impressionistic, and more open to interpretation than to just say, you have this choice or this choice, and these are the two options. So right. it just missed for me in a lot of ways. Uh, but I, I've seen D&D pl- players who... Uh, are defending it. So if it if it works for you, that's fine. I'm not trying to convince you otherwise. Well, they're they're kind of uh, the the poles of the spectrum, right? You know, like the two choice things. It's like obviously there's a lot of things in the middle of the two that you could do, and like mm-hmm. certainly different ways that you could choose each option, right? But yeah, it's like uh, these are ultimately like the two kinds of options that you have. I I don't know, like. I, I, I agree with you, basically. It's like, I, I can see the argument for why you would just be like, okay, here, you know, we want some modal spells because D&D is like a modal game, right? But it's like, it's also, you know, more than just two options. So I, I agree. Right. And uh, you benefit more, in in my eyes anyway, from like slotting D&D into magic than to try and push D&D ideas into magic's framework. Uh, and, and that sounds like similar, but I, I think there is a subtle difference between the two. And uh, this feels a little bit more like making D&D try and squeeze into the framework. And it just doesn't really work for me. Yep. Uh, specific cards. Yeah. I mean, what do you what do you got for me, Jerry? There's got to be something here which at least has you thinking. I know there's like a couple uh, commons that caught my eye uh, as far as like rares and mythics. It, nothing. Almost nothing. All right. Well, I didn't write anything down, so I'm just going to scroll through Scryfall here. And if I if I see something, I'll bring it up. OK, that sounds like a fair approach. There is a white rare. It is one and a dub for a two two legendary creature gnome artificer dub tap second artifact. Uh, basically, you know, birthing pod. Right? Birthing pod. Search, search your library for an artifact card with mana value equal to one plus the sacrificed artifacts mana value, put that card on the battlefield, then shuffle, activate only as a sorcery. Interesting in older formats. Uh, I, I think in particular, this with like Colossus Hammer is kind of cool. Flipping your Ornithopter into more hammers can matter a bunch. Uh, like zero, one, two chains can also matter a bunch in older formats. In things like standard, I don't know that you're really supposed to work all the way up this chain just because the artifacts aren't very good at this moment for whatever reason. That could change. Uh, we could get some good artifacts potentially. In terms of like an ability, uh, this is a good one for sure. Like we've seen birthing pod stuff be really powerful. This isn't going to do broken birthing pod things. This has to do value things. And I think it's harder to derive value from artifacts as a card type than, you know, your your colored creatures or wherever else you're moving up and down a chain. Uh, but I'm interested to see what this can do. Pretty benign in the standard format, though. I agree. I'm stretching. Okay. Black staff. There's going to be a lot of stretching, so that's fun. Black staff of Waterdeep. You, legendary artifact. You may choose not to untap this during your untap step. One, you tap. Another target, non-token artifact you control becomes a 4-4 artifact creature token or artifact creature. For as long as this remains tapped, activate only as a sorcery. See, this is one of those instances, right? Animate walking statue is the the flavor keyword, right? Mm. If it's already walking, why do you have to animate it? Maybe this is like a slight on D&D versus like magic or whatever. But it's like, I don't know, you're, you're turning an inanimate object into a walking thing. 
Yeah. And also, does does this matter? Like, did, did we need more scissors for scissoring? Was that a real restriction that we were facing before? You had like Maybe. skilled animator. And I think like this could be number nine if you're convinced you need like number nine and maybe like number 10. I don't think you want to load up on these because obviously there's problems in multiples. Um, so yeah, again, you can touch a, a, a niche application in an older format. I believe this card might see a little bit of play. Uh, anything else in blue that looks remotely playable? Not really. No, I, I guess there's like the, the, the commons in particular that are okay. There's a variant on dive down. It's one of these yes. super wordy names. That's probably worth mentioning. Is it, you see a guard approach. That's the one I'm talking about. Oh yeah. yeah. It, was, it was at the very bottom. Yeah. You instant choose one tap a creature or target creature. You control gains hex proof until end of turn. Hexproof for one blue mana matters uh, almost always. The versatility of tapping a target creature, it's okay. I can see spots where I'm happy about that. It lets you win races, you know, like assuming you're already solidified your position and everything and gives you a little bit of added flexibility. So it's kind of nice. Yeah, I I think that card could matter a small amount. Uh, Another one, which is, I I don't think it's actually present here. Oh, here it is. Okay. Uh, Contact another plane another common and this also hits on another mechanic so we get to talk about this contact another plane three colorless you instant roll a d20 one through nine draw two cards so that's like the fail state and we've learned to be okay with four mana draw two cards at instant speed i don't love it i'm not i'm not but we're sometimes okay with it it's seen play a bunch uh but there's upside here there's the 10 to 19 upside where you scry to draw two does that work for you is that a circumstance you're interested in jerry yeah if i can split it up two mana now and two mana later okay you can't do that but uh, at least not with this card what about though if you roll a 20 on your d20 and you get to scry three and then draw three cards now are you interested in playing this card um no because i'm not banking on ever spiking a 20 so um well i am blessed i'm gonna spike nothing but 20s uh is this the moment where I talk about how like I'm man's can't hit a creature office collecting company, but he can roll 20s. <laughs> Is this the moment where we talk about how I'm inherently distrustful of like spin down dice? And they're obviously a very big part of this set. Yeah, and you can like yeah, manipulate awkward. that. Yeah, I, I don't love that. I don't know what we're supposed to do about that, but it's real. It's something to watch out for, I guess, if you're dealing with like the FNM hero who wants to win at all costs in your local pre-release and they're spinning that d20 in a suspicious way i i don't even know what i I would probably just leave the tournament honestly i don't i don't have time for that kind of drama in my life at this point but uh something to think about for sure there's b for a one one zombie when it dies choose one target creature and opponent controls get minus one minus one until end of turn or create a treasure token that's not bad i agree uh maybe a little combo potential there uh, even in older formats, it's possible. Just one mana being able to accelerate, a pretty big game. You don't see that a lot. So I, I agree. This one's interesting, at least. There's, I don't know, some cards that I don't want to say like pay you off for sacrificing things, but they reference sacrificing things where it's like, oh, well, maybe there, there'll there be something here. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, our, our old favorite, Plum the Forgotten. Is that still the name of it? I feel like I've forgotten the name of this card because I haven't... Forbidden. Plum forbidden. forbidden. Thank you. 
man. I, at least I knew I was wrong. Uh, yeah, but you know, there's sacrifice fodder could be important, and it's something that we came up against a bunch when we were working on that deck because we wanted one more one mana sacrifice things that mattered. And this can kill innkeeper, brazen borrower, so it's yeah. not that bad. Yeah, yeah. Or you get a treasure for later. Yeah, maybe. I think that's cool. Maybe that will see standard play in our tier three standard deck. Great. That's, that's what we're shooting for these days. Uh, gelatinous cube. This is one of the D&D things I really like. Like, okay. I'll call out to gelatinous cube works for me. So go ahead. 2BB43. When this enters the battlefield, exile target, non-ooze creature and opponent controls until this leaves the battlefield and you can pay XB. Put target creature card with mana value X exiled with gelatinous cube into its owner's graveyard. So it's a very large fiend hunter esque thing that you can also, you know, if you have a bunch of mana, you can just get rid of the thing exiled for it to not have a downside anymore. Yeah, and then you can do some blinky stuff. So I'm I'm cool with this card. I think it's pretty narrow, not great on rate, especially in comparison to other things happening. But it could see a small amount of play. I also think this card is infinitely cooler if it doesn't have these keywords the engulf dissolve keywords that are present on the card uh before the two abilities like it speaks for itself show don't tell and you did a great job designing this card and then you just kind of like ham-fisted tack these words onto it no but i gotta jam it down your throat you don't you don't have to do that i promise i'll get it i'm I'm smart enough to get it Mm. magic is a very smart audience you can you can trust us interesting flame skull one rr three one skeleton flying can't block when this dies exile it if you do exile the top card of your library until end of your turn you may play one of those cards so either the flame skull itself or the card that you exile this is probably pretty good uh, i could see a lot of decks that are a lot of red decks that are happily sideboarding this in some scenarios a lot of red decks will probably main deck it because if flying is a good evasive ability the longevity this has is nice uh I, I like the fact that you don't have to immediately reanimate it like you get a little bit of flex- flexibility um you also get the choice where this just gets invalidated by a bigger body on the battlefield to get to cash it in so i'm actually pretty optimistic about this card again i don't think it changes anything for red decks it's just kind of like another option where there's already several pretty good options but at some point this will be the option i'm pretty sure yeah uh do you like any of these dragon cards no no i don't cool i wait do you want to mention the the stupid combo card i i guess like if you can kill on turn two in standard you probably have to mention that right uh what combo card it's minion of the mighty it's it's red creature cobalt menace and it's got pack tactics whenever don't, minion don't of read the those mighty attacks. don't read those words <laughs> well that one appears multiple times so i think that one's okay oh that's true that is that is like an actual kind yeah, of an keyword actual keyword which is weird uh but pack tactics is whenever minion of the mighty attacks if you attacked with creatures with total power six or greater this combat you may put a dragon creature card from your hand onto the battlefield tapped and attacking so combo goes turn one minion of the mighty turn two infuriate infuriate again you now have a six five minion of the mighty you attack you play some stupid dragon that i don't even know the name of from like an intro deck or something it's like your stuff gets double strike until end of turn. your stuff gets double strike until end of turn it also has double strike you get to attack for over 20 on cool. turn two great broke it <laughs> you sound very excited about that all right, so you love Minion of the Mighty, no. best card in the set, probably. No, 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 no. Well, that, that might be true, but that doesn't yeah. actually mean I, mean I like it. 
basically uh to bolt trickery is what you're saying it's yes it's very easy to do yep yeah and you know uh, in older formats you can probably cheat in some way and just something I wish didn't exist, uh, but probably won't matter that much until you're losing to it. And you're, you'll be like, wow, that was real stupid. There's some red cards that make me really angry. OK, uh, we could talk about that. I mean, we don't have good cards to talk about, so you might as well just talk about the cards that are making you angry. So there's a, a five mana seven, three trample that whenever it's dealt damage, venture into the dungeon. It's a rare. Yeah. Oh, you don't love that? It just seems so weak to me. I don't know um yeah that's that's the set in a nutshell and it's good again we've had this discussion a bunch of times like we had to scale back but it just sucks that we have to do this under the context of throne still being here because how do you take any of this seriously all right this this planeswalker yeah this red planeswalker two rr four starting loyalty zariel archduke of avernus by the way yeah that thing uh plus one Creatures you control get plus one, plus O, oh, and gain haste until end of turn. Zero, create a 1-1 one, one red devil creature token with whenever this creature dies, it deals one damage to any target. And minus six, you get an emblem with at the end of your first combat phase on your turn, untap target creature you control. After this phase, there's an additional combat phase. This is a mythic rare. Mm-hmm. I, I take it you're not over the moon about this planeswalker. You pay four mana, you get a, a one one. Great deal. I'm I'm in. You sold me on it. And so, like, giving all of your stuff haste always is is very powerful, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But wow, the rest of this card, you know, it's like I I just I would I would want to play that on a reasonable planeswalker that that haste ability. I think that that would be great. The rest of this, I'm just like I, I don't get it. Yeah, I, I can't I can't defend this one. I mean, again, I could think of like narrow situations where this is the right card for you to grind against some control deck. But uh, it yeah. only makes devils, man. Yeah, I mean, they they have some kind of reach. So you keep this on the battlefield for a long time and make a bunch of them and rats don't matter as much, except there's a bunch of rats that exile. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. OK, circle next, of next dreams, cards. druid. G G G three mana two one elf druid tap add G for each creature you control. All right, at least this card is ostensibly powerful. Like I don't have anything to do with it. It's obviously super vulnerable. Um, but anything that can tap for like annoying amounts of mana has the potential to be very good. There was like uh Somberwald Sage back in the day could do somewhat similar things at three mana and it was an O one and saw reasonable amounts of play. So I I'm not hating on this one. There's nothing that comes to mind, but this is a card that like the power level is actually there. It could do silly things if it goes unchecked. Werewolf pack leader, GG three, three creature, human werewolf. This is why new pack tactics was a thing. This has pack mm -hmm. tactics. It does. Whenever this attacks, if you attacked with creatures with total power six or greater this combat, draw a card, 3G until end of turn. This has base power toughness, 5-3, gains trample and isn't a human. This is the one card that I saw in the set where I'm like, this might see constructed play. Yeah, scales, you know, and uh, six power total isn't, isn't that tough with, you know, Lovestruck Beast type of stuff. It's like you get a bunch of power really quickly in these green decks, so... 
This is not that bad. But was I going to write an article about, you know, mono green? Not really. So I, I finished uh, talking about werewolf pack leader and your power dropped out. I would reiterate the things that I said, but they're not that important. Uh, yeah, I, I don't even remember what I was saying. It's a playable card. I think yep. that should be obvious to anyone looking at it. And uh, thank God I have a backup generator so that they find fans who are listening to this Adventures in the Forgotten Realms review will not miss out on any of the tech they will need to dominate term- tournaments in the coming weeks. Yeah, joke's on you. All the cards suck and there are no tournaments, so... Oh, double whammy, I guess. Varus Silvery Moon Ranger. 1GG, 3-3. Legendary creature, Human Elf Ranger, Reach, Ward 1. Whenever you cast a creature or Planeswalker spell, venture into the dungeon. This ability triggers only once each turn. Whenever you complete a dungeon, create a 2-2 Green Wolf creature token. This is more in line with what i expected and i'm still not sure if this is good or not i will say that they are uh checking themselves with the like unmitigated abilities right like here's a very clear instance of a spot where if this card was in throne of eldraine it just does its thing every time you have a creature coming yeah like could you imagine innkeeper if it was like only once each turn it's like it's not a reasonable card yeah it's not a big stopgap it's not huge or anything, but like it definitely matters. It absolutely does. Uh, so good adjustment. I don't have too much else to say about this card. I am unconvinced about the dungeon mechanic. I think you need like a critical mass of good dungeon cards. I am not there yet. It is funny to me, though, that Varus, as opposed to Varus, is a character in League of Legends and uh, also a ranger presently in TFT. So something about the name... Varus Varus leads people to being rangers. But are they a silvery moon ranger? Uh, No, they're redeemed, which doesn't really have a lot to do with silver. There's no real like silvery moon comp right now. There was moonlight in the last set. That doesn't exist right now. Okay. Uh, What about any of these gold cards? (sighs) I mean, like Orcus, Prince of Undeath is interesting. That's probably the one closest to like I could envision myself playing this, particularly in a post Eldraine world. This card seems like it scales very well. Do you want to hit us with the text on this one? X2BR53, legendary creature demon, flying trample. When this enters the battlefield, choose one. Each other creature gets minus X, minus X until end of turn. You lose X life or return up to X target creature cards with total mana value X or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. They gain haste until end of turn. I like. The second ability for sure is kind of like uh, probably a small rebuild, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and like the top part's okay. It's you're never gonna like, you know, minus five, minus five. This thing that's pretty unlikely, but it, it kills a bunch of small stuff, which is all right. Well, I, I think there's circumstances where like you're just playing a really long game, like a typical mid range game, an old school Jund ish deck uh, that you know looks to ramp a little bit. Basically, the type of decks that have dominated standard for. An extended period of time i think getting orcus fairly sizable could happen a lot i also like the fact that like turn four here's a five three flying trample because it is modal in the sense that you can play your beatdown games and you can play your more controlling games so more uh traditional mid-range as opposed to what i would term like mana mid-range which is what hydroid crisis nissa is closer to uh but still with good scaling payoff as the game goes long so 
Uh, I don't even, I don't hate this card at all. I think like there's reasons to play this immediately if there's a good deck for it. And there's like Rakdos decks out there. So does Orcus really change stuff for those Rakdos decks? I don't think so. But good solid rate, good solid card. I expect before this rotates out of standard, it will be a reasonable magic card. Any other gold cards? Uh, Triumphant Adventurer is like pushing me to start believing in dungeon stuff. Uh, you know, kind of unstoppable attacker that you can trade for a big thing on the back end. Triumphant Adventurer is a white black creature, human knight, death touch. As long as it's your turn, Triumphant Adventurer has first strike. Whenever Triumphant Adventurer attacks, venture into the dungeon. I think there's a good amount of value. Yeah, one one. Thank you. Good amount of value tied up in that card. So I, I don't hate this, but again, I still need more support before I am sure I want to just do dungeon stuff. But maybe you could convince me that uh, there's enough payoffs early in a dungeon map where you could just play Triumphant Adventurer alongside like a human strategy or a knight strategy, and it still makes sense. Yeah, I mean, you can also look at you know basically the composition of your hand and have a reasonably good idea of how far into any given dungeon you can go. And it's Mm -hmm. just like, well, I'm probably only going to get this through like once or twice or whatever. So maybe I choose the one that makes a one, one versus scrying one, because that's more important in the here and now uh, versus late. But yeah, right now I'm looking at a lot of these cards and you can put some of them in the same deck, but then it's like, wow, your stuff is like really pretty weak on rate and you're really hoping for the dungeon to carry you but then it's just like it's still pretty hard to actually get through it so still need some more stuff uh i guess one other gold card i want to mention more just to be contrarian volo guide to monsters are you are you familiar with this one uh no is this a foreign card no this is a two carless green blue legendary creature human wizard Whenever you cast a creature spell, it doesn't share a creature type with a creature you control or a creature card in your graveyard. Copy that spell. Oh, Three two just, creature. This is just not on Scryfall. I am looking at it on Scryfall right now, so I'm I'm not sure why it's not popping up for you. Okay, I don't know. Um, images weird. images sorted by set number. Have that. I have that as well. It's actually right after Triumphant Adventure. No, I've I've Xanathar. That's so weird. Why I, I want to show you a screen cap just so you see what I'm talking about. I don't know why you wouldn't be allowed to have Volo. I, I almost feel bad for you. But ultimately, Jerry, I think it's fine because what I wanted to say is that I've seen some other people excited about this card. I don't, I don't get it at all. It's a 3-2 for 4 mana that has to live basically for a turn before it does anything. And even then, it's still pretty conditional. And the payoff is good. But you're asking for a lot to go right, and I just don't see how this is realistically playable. All right, man, you sent me a screenshot. I'm sending you a screenshot right back. This is this is a wild state of events. This is the most interesting thing that has happened thus far. In oh, you don't have an artifact. Realms. Oh, that's I I saw that art. I'm just like on an old version somehow. I don't know. I that seems like it should be impossible. I don't I don't know how that could happen to you. Okay, no, I, I refreshed and everything was fine. All right. Well, welcome back to the full set as we know it thus far. Has anything changed for you? Anything else you want to talk about here? Uh, no. Creature Although, lands? You want to touch on the creature? I mean, they look okay. Yeah, I do. I want, do want to talk about those. There's uh, also another card that just got previewed. 
Is this the one, the one that breaks it all? No, I'm reading it. It's RB for a 1-2 legendary creature, human elf bard. When this enters the battlefield, create a treasure. Other creatures you control enter the battlefield with an additional plus one, plus one counter on them for each mana from a treasure spent to cast them. So this is like the two-mana innkeeper that, that gives you a treasure, right? It's like, do we, can we do things with all of these wily goblins? Are these good enough? Uh, this one's got some relevant creature types. So yeah. that's that's a good start. I, I don't hate this card, even if it you know only does a little bit. You only get one payoff from it. I, I think that's fine. It's just more about like, do these creature types matter? Are there spots where you want to accelerate via a body and then turn that body into something else? Use it as some fodder. And then this card becomes very playable. So fine entry there. Um, but nothing really else to say about it. Uh, there's a two dub enchantment aura. Enchant non-land permanent. Enchanting permanent becomes a treasure and loses all other abilities. Uh, fine. I'm fine with that. Don't hate it. Uh, what about this for you thing? Oh, you mean you, 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 right? Not for you. Correct. Yeah, I was looking over this one. All uh, right. Go ahead. Hit us with the text. You, 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 you. Four total blue mana symbols. Four, three. Skeleton wizard. This costs you less to cast for each instant and sorcery spell you've cast this turn. Whenever this attacks, exile up to one target instant or sorcery card from your graveyard. Copy it. You may cast the copy. You may cast this from your graveyard by exiling four instant and or sorcery cards from your graveyard in addition to paying its other costs. This all feels really powerful. There's there's a lot of words on this card that you expect to see on legitimately broken cards, right? There's cost reduction for each spell you play. So you know, like flashing things back, it, it comes back from the graveyard. Yep. All of that seems extremely, extremely powerful. And I think it all adds up to a card that actually isn't that good, which is a scary statement to make. If if I'm wrong about like anything here, this is the one I could be most wrong about. But it feels like short of older formats, it's hard to get this at a meaningful discount. And even then, I'm not sure you're super interested in it because if you're not getting any benefit from like thought scouring and getting this thing onto the battlefield, you you can't afford to play a four mana spell in decks that are interested in doing those things. Even if that four mana is spent elsewhere, I still think this is pinched. And if we're talking about like modern legacy, uh, this this has some vulnerability in those formats, right? It, it doesn't have the toughness you want to see there. So that's a little scary to me. Uh, it's it's asking for very specific cards to be exiled to, to be able to cast it again. Uh, you're not getting a discount at that point. So I'm not sure this is going to come back that many times. I'm not sure this is actually going to be cheap all that many times. I I guess what will be the deciding factor for me is can you reasonably play this as a 4-3, pop like one thing out of your graveyard and be happy about it? And in some scenarios, I think the answer will be yes. In most scenarios, I think the answer is no. And I think it's too hard uh, to, to do the proper setup to really empower this card. I mostly agree, but your your initial premise where you're just like, this is a lot of powerful stuff. I I mostly held that opinion as well, where it's like, this is, especially for me, right? It's like cost reduction and yes. flashing back instants and sorceries and coming All back from the graveyard. Love. It's like, oh, this is like right up, you know, my, my wheelhouse. So what what's the deal? And yeah, it's just maybe a, a little too bad, but it's it's a mythic rare. I don't know what sort of, you know, lore history it has within D&D &D or anything, whether Nor or not that, that's like a thing or character or whatever that should have been pushed. But 
I don't know. I mean, I guess looking at a bunch of the other mythic rares too, it's like, oh, they're like, you know, just close, but not good enough. Right. So, which is, which is fine. Uh, keep, keep aiming for that spot. I think that's where you want to ultimately hit. And then I'll come back and reevaluate all this stuff when we get to do it post Eldraine. Yeah. Ideally you, you hit the spot, right. Where it is appealing enough to want to like buy the card and try it. And then yep. maybe it just doesn't work out. Uh, this card also like like i know this card i looked at it before we did the show uh not showing up on my scryfall right now <laughs> i don't know where it went so. yeah it wasn't it wasn't on mine either i had to go back to okay spoiler okay so maybe this is just not on scryfall yet that, that makes more sense maybe it is just a fake card it does feel like uh i don't know one of the imager things where people just make their custom magic cards or whatever uh it's it's got some of that vibe to it but mythic spoilers usually i, I haven't seen them no they're good they're time, good so. they're good yeah all right, so to, to cap it off, we have some creature lands. Yes. And it, they, have, they all have the same text. If you control two or more other lands, this enters the battlefield tapped. So it's basically like Blackleaf Cliffs text. Like you want this to be within the first few lands that you play. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, wait, is it worse than that? If you control two or more other lands. Okay, yeah, so it's the same. No, it's worse, right? If it's your third land, it comes in tapped. Oh, yeah. Okay, so it is worse. Damn yeah. it. Yeah. I think that's how I read it initially, and then I saw someone that, like, you know, they compared them or whatever, and then I just got that in my head that that's what they were. So, yeah, uh, you are encouraged to play a bunch of these so that it's, like, you know, your, your first land drop or whatever, but then the remainders are also pretty bad. But like, uh-huh. if your first two land drops are these, like you're you're golden, you're set up, right? Yeah, it's it's a weird tension uh, where you could get really punished if you draw too many of these over the course of the game, but you also want them early. So uh, I think an interesting design, and then because of that, they're able to assign a little bit more power to these bodies and like legitimate bodies here, things that could actually close the game pretty quickly. And I, I think that does make them pretty interesting. Also removes the confusion of you know, like if it did ETB untapped later you have to specify whether or not the land could actually like attack that turn. Correct. And stuff Correct. like that. I, I like so, that. Yeah. yeah I like so that. you, you kind of get around that unless you're, you know, like turn to play a land, just dark ritual a bunch or something. Mm-hmm. You're like, Oh, I can't attack this. Sucks. No, that's a, that's a good catch on your part and a, a smart little design with these cards, I think. Yeah. So, uh, there's, there's one for each color. They all, you know, tap for red or tap for white, whatever. The white one is four dub. This becomes a three, four white dragon creature with flying until end of turn it still lands red one is three r until end of turn this becomes a three two red goblin creature with whenever this attacks create a one one uh goblin token that's tapped and attacking the black one is three b until end of turn this becomes a three three black beholder creature with menace and whenever this attacks exile target card from defending players graveyard i guess we only have four of these right Right, we have not seen the green one yet. Yeah, yeah, okay. So the blue one is 5U until in a turn. This becomes a 7-7 blue giant creature with Ward 3. It still lands. Like, yeah, like these lands are very, very powerful and are are definitely going to be doing like a lot of the heavy lifting, I feel like, in a lot of decks coming up. I think so. And things like Hall of the Storm Giant, that huge body on a land, like if this is your win condition in a control deck and you just need to basically clear the battlefield attack three times, it's pretty nice. That's a pretty good spot to be in. Um, and a, a very clean, simple, compact win condition, which I always like in my control decks. Same. 
the same thing as far as the red creature land goes scales really well across turns like multiple bodies so you're playing these attrition games and then when you go to this land it will also close out games pretty quickly because it's putting more and more goblins on the battlefield i like that uh i think the other two are a little bit weaker but if your mana base supports it you'll probably be playing some number of these a lot of the time and uh, i think they're all worth considering white one having flying i like a lot the red and black ones are like you know kind of medium bodies i feel like sort of medium abilities and in a lot of instances it seems like something like faceless haven would be better but these also you know tap for colored mana they can go into yep. two color decks yep. a lot easier so now we have uh, a few more options which is pretty nice but like in, in the context of like just straight up mono red like you're playing faceless haven over the red one right uh probably as long as Snowlands aren't being punished and like there's right. not some other incentive to get away from that particular mana base setup you know like a an rrr r card or something like that where you just have to have all the possible red mana um but yes for the time being faceless haven a little bit stronger than most of these uh and i guess they'll always exist at the same time so that'll be competition but like you said multicolor decks uh things like if you want to play azorius control obviously you couldn't use face haven faithless haven faceless haven as your finisher but something like call of the storm giant is pretty plausible there yeah and we brought up uh rakdos a few times and mm -hmm. in, in the context of sacrifice this is making the red ones making a token so that's always yeah. pretty nice yeah yeah, I think like as a cycle, these are the most immediately impactful cards in the set. They're just clearly good enough, clearly going to get slotted into some mana bases. Uh, and, you know, it, it's like I said on Twitter, that's not a super interesting article for me to write or a super interesting discussion for me to have. So it doesn't excite me all that much, but these are still good cards. Yeah, plus Paulo wrote about it. Oh, did he? Yeah. Okay, so he beat me to the punch anyway. Yeah, so I mean, that that's the other tension as far as writing is concerned with a set like this is like a lot of the cards are pretty weak it's hard to find stuff to write about already and then we also have this stable of writers that are shotgunning things usually ahead of us so. yeah uh, well if for folks who don't know, know how this works we just basically scramble and whoever calls a particular card first gets to do it um so there's this weird th like sub game you're playing where is this card good enough that i want to pull the trigger on it and or do i want to save my my slot this week for writing about something more interesting uh, I, I don't really play the sub game that hard, but there, there is some strategy to it. Well, so Asmore got previewed and I started doing some research and then I, I decided that, yes, I could write an article about this, went into Slack to request it and you'd shotgunned it like 20 minutes before I did or something. Yeah, great minds think alike. Yeah, Although so, I didn't do much with my article as far as actually breaking the card, but but still, I got the good one. So, yeah. And that's that's like all it takes. And then I was just like, oh, OK, you know, that that's cool. Like, I'm glad that someone else is excited about this card because it it looked really sweet to me and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, didn't necessarily look like it was busted. But uh, as it turns out, the, the door has been opened to us. We now know uh, should have been even higher on Asmore. Are, are you still playing Asmore these days in modern? What are you what are you playing? I guess we'll check in with modern real quick before we get out of here, because I think we're about done with adventures in the forgotten realm for yeah I'm, I'm trying a bunch of stuff right now basically that's kind of what my article is going to be about this week is uh you know the last two or three weeks like either explicitly talked about food or at least mentioned them in some capacity and i've certainly been continuing to play those decks but 
Uh, for example, I played a challenge last weekend for a couple rounds until I got sleepy because it was like, you know, I, I take a quick nap and then wake up to play this massive eight round tournament. And then obviously by like round three, I'm sleepy. So I just went back to bed. But I played smart. I played bring the light scapeshift and then I thought it was like pretty well positioned. And I don't know. Right now, there's a lot of like Rakdos and Mardu, like mid rangey kind of good stuff decks. And I think the next step to that is playing something similar. So, like, you have basically all the same good matchups, or at least like similar matchup spread. You're going to be a little worse to like the the combo decks, basically, like big mana. Uh, mm. Mill is kind of a combo deck and ad nauseum, although like there's not a lot of people playing it. And, you know, just things like that, because you're like lowering your clock, but being like a, a slightly bigger version in order to dominate mirrors. So like I've been working on those a little bit. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, if there was a, a tournament, I would just play food and I'm not sure which one, probably green black, but I need someone to like actually sit down and like play me in mirrors or something. I know just the person for that. Uh, someone who isn't me, basically. Yeah, I, I did no. have a good time popping in uh, for a little legacy this week. You and I played a little legacy together. Yeah, legacy that was, was kind of tight. Was I, yeah. I got, uh, I think it was the week after. No, maybe it was the same weekend. I I got ninth in a legacy challenge with a little mono blue deck that we brewed up. Yep, and it was pretty nice. Uh, I lost to the player who won the tournament because they got their their one of no rod against my. You know, seat of the synod six bobble like mox opal deck or whatever. So good for them. I'm definitely not mad. I could tell. I could tell. No, no bitterness whatsoever. Um, oh my god! But the was... legacy games were fun. That that was the best thing for me to see. Is like I haven't checked in on legacy in a while to see the games play out in a pretty reasonable state. Uh, the format looking mostly healthy in the aftermath of uh, Modern Horizons two. Although obviously, like the is it stuff is strong uh probably the strongest thing but it sort of feels like that's always the case in legacy and people just talk themselves off it for some reason yeah um but i'm, I'm cool with that obviously that falls right in my wheelhouse some of my favorite decks so good to see that format doing well yeah man i was casting psi master thopterist like it was 2017 or whatever mm -hmm. felt great. good felt uh, good card card was real nice deck was pretty good um I played against a bunch of Delver decks, obviously. I think that's just going to be the case whenever you register for a Legacy event. And it was pretty short. It was only seven rounds, which was nice. And uh, the competition was like the, the top tier was good. The low tier was not that great. I definitely played against a couple opponents where I'm just like, what are you doing? Part of the appeal of Legacy, Gerald, yeah, is kind of. something something for everyone, uh, all different experience levels. I think with the format and like the quasi competitive scene is very alive in Legacy, where like you really want the tournaments, but you're also not super invested in the outcome. And I think that's something cool about it. Yeah, I played an opponent where I had Retrofitter Foundry in play for a while, and they just like attacked a Regavan into it when I had a bunch of open mana and it's like, uh, okay, you probably should have read this card. So then I like, you know, made a token, just ate the Regavan. 
And then a couple turns later, like the foundry did kind of like the exact same thing. I don't remember the exact scenario or whatever. Oh, did it like scale up and, and get but, a bigger creature the next time? Yeah. And then it just like ate another creature. And, and then normally that's where you get like the shame concede. Right. But they just right. they, they were a trooper. They just kept on playing like nothing had ever happened. It was uh, pretty interesting. I would have had mad respect if they went for the third jump attack. Like that's where you really mean business. Like, OK, he's going to really fear this one. Yeah, it was one of those things where it's like, oh, do they have like a like a gut shot or a mutagenic growth or something? It's like, well, I'm mono blue ancient tomb. It's not like I have a lot of options. You know, sure. it's like I just kind of have to go for it. And yeah, like their monkey just died. Like, all right. Bad monkey. Bad monkey. Uh, it was fun, though. I might try and play again this weekend. Actually, we'll see. Word. I might pop by for that and then we'll come back next week and have all of the good stuff previewed from Adventures in the Forgotten Realms. I could feel it. it's right around the corner, Jerry. The- as soon as I submit this article, I, it's, <laughs> it's coming out. No, nah, man, it's just, all the stuff will be previewed. We're not even going to like talk about the follow up cards. We're not going to do a top 10 list. We could do like a bottom 10 list. Ooh, that might be fun. Most most disappointing rares. Yeah, I, I don't think anyone actually wants to hear that. It would be fun to make, though. I, I would feel better like critiquing this set if I actually played D&D, you know? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if I get access to that mindset or not, having not played D&D but being familiar with it. I'm not sure if I am supposed to have those strong D&D opinions. It seems like the D&D fans are not complaining about this one, so let them have it, and uh, I'll be back for my squirrel focus set, I guess. Word. Cool. Game. Good luck.